Testament. Last week was our first Sunday in the New Testament, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus teaches us to live in His first major speech or message in the New Testament when He began His ministry, and that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look just at some of the first verses in that. Crowds followed Jesus wherever He went. Now that He'd done a lot of healings and and miracles and had cast demons out of people, um, people were flocking to Him. And so one day, He went up on the side of a mountain, and you can see a picture of it. This is basically where He was. It's kind of like a big, huge bowl, the Sea of Galilee there. And on the side of the bowl, on this side here, was like a natural amphitheater. And, and over 5,000 men, plus women and children, gathered here to hear Jesus speak. And um, the Sermon on the Mount, they did a quiz a number of years ago, and they asked people what the Sermon on the Mount was. And unfortunately, quite a few people thought it meant that Jesus was preaching from a horse. What do you think about that, Heidi? <laughs> I love her expression. So I crossed the horse out because it's really a sermon on the mountainside. Okay? And uh, that's really what it's all about. Um, Jesus does not preach a message that's all just feel good. He says some very, very difficult and challenging things to his followers and to the people that gathered there. there was a, it was a huge group of people that were just had heard about Jesus or people that had witnessed Jesus' healing and doing miracles and things like that. But um, Jesus does not hold back. And so this morning as I share just a little bit of that sermon with you, prepare to put your seatbelt on and hold on because it's challenging to us. But there's some very encouraging things that will help you too. I don't know about you, but in school, every once in a while, when I was in public school and in college, I got a teacher who was really difficult and really strict. Anybody remember a strict teacher who demanded a lot of you when you were in school? I had a lady named Mrs. Stevens. Oh, she was tough. Everybody wanted Mr. Roberts because he was fun and easy. But Mrs. Stevens was tough. But Mrs. Stevens taught you and you learned. And, and when, you got off, when you got out of it and got in school, you looked back and went, oh, I guess I'm thankful for Mrs. Stevens. It wasn't much fun at the time, but I really learned my stuff. And uh, in third grade, I had a teacher named Mrs. Reed. She was my favorite teacher, but she was challenging. I remember in third grade, she would, we'd be doing math or, you know, mathematics was never my forte. I was not good at math. And I remember I would say, I can't figure this out. And she would say to me, Kant was killed in the war. And I would go, what? I said, I can't figure out this math problem. And she said, Kant was killed in the war. I didn't know who Kant was. I think when I was in college, I looked it up, and I think it was Immanuel Kant, who was a German philosopher. And he wasn't killed in any war. So I don't know what she was talking about. But she wouldn't let me get away with slacking off. She would force me to finish things and to, to grapple with things and learn the hard concepts. So in the same way, Jesus is 
pushing us. He's, he's drawing us. He's, he's stretching us in these, in these passages in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're just going to look a little bit at chapter 5 today. So if you are online or you're with us today, you can either go on your phone and go to the uh, Calvary um, app, the Calvary Church app, or you can go on the Bible Engagement Project app. It's uh, volume 7, session 3 on the Bible Engagement app. And we have paper copies for people that don't have smartphones or don't have the app. They're right behind Rosie. And uh, maybe if you want one of those, raise your hand. Maybe somebody could pass one out to you. If you need a paper copy. Thank you, Rosie. I appreciate that. Jesus made it clear that following him came with a price. Did you hear me? Following Jesus costs us something. Getting saved is free, right? But following Jesus, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. What that means is we have to make decisions day by day and learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ed, can you wait on your question? Oh, you're back there waiting for one of those. Okay, thank you, Rosie. Okay, what, is the, what are these beatitudes that Jesus talks about? I mean, go ahead and read them first. Then but the word beatitude is simply a word that means blessing. They're, they're the blessings. And... The word blessed or blessed, depending on what, how you're using it, you are blessed, brother. And blessed are the, right? It's the same word. It literally means to be enlarged. Okay? To be, to be enlarged, to be fortunate, or to be favored. Okay? It does not mean happy. Some of you have Bible versions, translations that say, happy are the poor, or happy are the merciful, in the Beatitudes. But really, that's not a good translation. Because some of these things that Jesus say are blessings to you, are tough things, that are, are difficult. And we're going to look at that in a moment. So this morning... When I say blessed are, and read these Beatitudes, think of it as this is God's going to enlarge you through this. Okay? So let me read verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. You having some fun with that, Brett? Okay, well, we'll have to go on anyway. Okay, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to come back and look at each one of these real quick. Blessed are those who mourn. Doesn't sound like happy, does it? For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For righteousness. For they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <coughs> Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's take a look at these. All right. First of all, just, just to yourself, think, which one of those do you like the best? Just kind of think about that. And then we're going to go through them, and then we'll see if you change your mind a little bit. All right, first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It literally means admitting that without God, we are bankrupt spiritually. We are destitute we're utterly sinful and cannot, we don't have what it takes to have a relationship with God apart from Jesus. Oh, precious. They had their birthday, number one birthday yesterday, and we've got great pictures of them eating their birthday cake. They put a big tarp underneath the high chairs, and it was just a riot. So fun. This poor in spirit is the deepest form of repentance, acknowledging that we don't have what it takes and how much we need God in our life. The poor in spirit are those who feel a deep sense of spiritual destitution and comprehend their nothingness before God. The kingdom of heaven is theirs because they seek it and find it and abide in it. It's the opposite of the pride of the Pharisee which caused him to thank God that he wasn't like other people. There has to be emptiness before there can be fullness. Right? How many of you ever changed the oil in your car? One time, I was working in the 76 station when I was a sophomore, and I was doing an oil change, and um, I thought I had drained the oil, and I started to pour in new oil. And guess what? Car wouldn't run. <laughs> Too much oil in it. And I'm so glad we figured it out quick and drained the oil out before it blew the motor up. God wants to fill you, but He can't fill you until you're empty. He can't pour in until you've poured out yourself. You have to come to the end of yourself before He can fill you with Himself. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 7.18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. We all have to hit that point where we just realize, I cannot fix myself. I need God to change, to transform me. In Luke 18, um, Jesus talks about that parable of the two people who went to the temple and the Pharisee prays and says, oh God, I'm glad I don't. I'm not like that guy over there. I fast twice a week and pay tithes of everything I get and everything. And uh, 
And then the Pharisee or the tax collector falls on his face and beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus says to his disciples, that's the guy that went away justified by God. The one that admitted he was not worthy, that he desperately needed God. Jesus ended by saying, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be lifted up. So why would they be given the kingdom of heaven? The poor in spirit, the people who see how bankrupt and empty they are apart from God? Because the kingdom of heaven fills them with everything that's God. The very thing that they need is the kingdom of heaven. The rule of Jesus in their life. The provision of Jesus to them of forgiveness and cleansing and new life. And the Spirit of God coming in to their, their, their mortal body and they becoming a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of, of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives where He comes in and begins to transform the way we think, the way we feel, our desires, so that we begin to be like Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So the question I have here, under this one, have I come to terms with my own wickedness and unworthiness based on my own righteousness? And have I trusted Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb of God, to take my sins away and make me clean and new. If you're unsure, if you think you're just a basically a good person, I had somebody tell me this week, they were talking to a friend of theirs and talking about Jesus, and, and he said, well, I'm, I'm a good person. Why do I need Jesus? How many have heard that? That is a huge deception. A good person until you look a little closely. When you, just take the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus does. He takes a few of them here in just a few verses later on. And let's take, uh, Jesus said, um, let's take, thou shalt not murder, right? How many people here have murdered somebody? Well, I shouldn't ask. Maybe somebody will raise their hand. <laughs> Jesus said, even if you hate your brother or sister in your heart, it's the same as killing them. Jesus just made it real applicable to me. Now, as anybody here can't raise their hand and say, I've never hated anybody in my life, then we're all spiritually murderers. If you've never hated anybody in your life and wanted somebody to die, I think that most of us would say, yeah, I guess I got screwed by somebody and I really wanted them to God to smash them or whatever. So, that's just one of the commandments. Jesus also said, you know, it says in the commandments, do not commit adultery. And Jesus said, even if you look at a person to lust after them, you're committing adultery in your heart. And you're guilty of adultery in God's eyes. Now, if some of you never, never hated anybody, and you got that one checked off, maybe this one just kind of buried you. If you go through those Ten Commandments and you get down to one like not being jealous or envious, I mean, how about disobeying your parents? So, I mean, we're all sinners. 
And when we get to that point of being able to say, I don't have anything in my own righteousness that I can stand before God. I need His mercy. That's when God can start doing something in me and you. All right, let's look at the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This morning is talking about the godly sorrow that comes when we see how spiritually bankrupt we are when we're poor in spirit. It's not talking about you're crying because you lost your son or you're crying because you ran out of money before the end of the month. It's talking about a godly sorrow that sees how desperately we need God and how greatly we have offended God by living righteous, self-righteous, rebellious lives in the face of Him. I see that hand. Fly swatting. Today is a good day to swat your flies. Those who mourn have realized that they deserve God's wrath and not His mercy. Romans 2, verses 5 and 6, the Apostle Paul says, If we are stubborn and refuse to turn from our sin, we are storing up terrible punishment for ourselves. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. That day is coming, and I'm glad it's not here yet. Because we got a whole bunch more people that need to know Jesus so they don't have to face the wrath of God because Jesus took the wrath of God for you and me and for everyone that trusts in Him. He took it on Himself. When He died on that cross 2,000 years ago, it was you and me, in actuality, that were part of nailing those nails into His cross. Even though we weren't even born or created yet. He retroactively took the judgment of God for everyone who trusts Him and asks Him to be their Savior. That's why He is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about this kind of sorrow. He says, this kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, it leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, you know where you get your hand caught in the cookie jar? You get caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. So it's a good thing, or you are blessed and enlarged if you sorrow over your sin and how you have hurt the heart of God in your life. That's a good thing. He says those people will be comforted. Aren't you glad that God comforts us? Even though we have offended and, and sinned against Him, He comforts us when we turn to Him by the complete forgiveness and cleansing from our sin. So the question here, the application question, have I truly mourned over my condition apart from God? And do I recognize that if I have started pridefully trusting in myself again, that I'm going to fall down spiritually? And I could really also hurt the people next to me, the people in my life that I love the most. So it's really good to have godly sorrow. It's good to cultivate that humility before the Lord. The third beatitude is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We don't use the word meek a whole lot these days, do we? So let's talk about what it means. It really literally means strength under control. 
strength under control, a humble attitude that expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses by other people. It's a decided strength of disciplined calmness. I've been told that it's, that it's the, uh, <clears throat> a, great, a great example is a big stallion who is, is learned to respond to the bridle and the bit and the reins. And a stallion that could easily kill a person is able to keep all that power under control because they're submitted to the master, the person who is riding them. In the same way as we, as we give to God our lives and we give to God our, all the things, that our desires, our emotions and everything, God begins to show us how to live in a place of controlled strength where we don't have to just react and lash out and hurt other people. You silence your phone, whoever's got that phone. Yeah, turn on silent if you would. Thanks. No problem. The Apostle Paul talks about Jesus being meek. You guys remember that? In 2 Corinthians 10.1, he talks about the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Jesus was the most powerful individual when he was on earth that there ever was. But he was completely controlled to where he was not a threat to other people. In fact, Jesus said in, in Matthew 10 or 11, I think it was, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You'll see that I am meek and lowly. So it's not talking about somebody that's effeminate. Or somebody that is uh, um, just a, a doormat. It's talking about somebody that has tremendous strength, but it's under the control of God's Spirit. Jesus says that person is blessed. And they are the ones who will inherit the earth. I don't think he's talking about, I don't know, maybe he's talking about the earth now, because even when we're in that place of being totally under the control of Holy Spirit, that we... We reign and rule in the earth in the Spirit. There's also a day coming when the earth will be fully under the control of Jesus who will be reigning as King in this physical earth. And we who have been faithful to Him will be ruling and reigning with Him. That's what we are told. Get ready to reign. You ever thought about that? You guys awake this morning? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> All that the meek have had to endure will be made right when Jesus comes and reigns again on this earth. I'm so thankful. Looking forward to that day. So the question is, have I humbled myself to live under the discipline of Holy Spirit in me? And do I commit myself to no longer let my sinful nature run the show? I'm hearing some good feedback here in the, in the moaning and the groans and the hmms. <laughs> I don't know about you, this is a challenge. And, and Jesus is saying, this is what a kingdom person lives like. Okay? What would these beatitudes? They're describing the lifestyle of somebody who's following Jesus. Okay? You should feel challenged because Jesus' standards are high. 
But Jesus' power is available to live and to be transformed, to be able to live these standards. Not in our own ability and strength. All right, let's look at number um, four. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness being, means being in right relationship to God and other people. Being morally just, innocent, and upright without fault. Do you want that? Are you hungry for that kind of, to be that kind of a person? It's the opposite of being inwardly dirty, tainted, and contaminated by sin. Matthew 23, 2, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. He says, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So God's looking for an interior rightness about us. And he's the one that can bring that. He says, if you're hungry for that, which means you don't have it, right? Or you don't have enough of it. If you're hungry for that, he's saying, you're going to be blessed because you're going to be filled with what you're asking for. Isn't that cool? The very thing we need is the very thing he's offering to us. His righteousness. We read in the Scripture that Christ is our righteousness. But not only is He our righteousness, He can actually live His life out through our lives, through our bodies, as we walk with Him and allow Him to transform us. It says He will lead us from glory to glory, from grace to grace, from strength to strength, as we walk with Jesus, as we surrender daily to Jesus and let Him lead us. All right, filled with Him. His values, His passions, His convictions, His desires, His love will become us. That will become our love. I have walked with the Lord since 1974. And I'll tell you what, my life has been transformed radically. It's been radically transformed in the six years I've been here in Alliance. You know what? I can't take any credit for it. The only thing I do is I keep getting up and going, God, forgive me. I say yes to you again today. If you can do that, you'll keep, trans- he'll keep transforming you. Jesus, forgive me as I fell down again. I get back up. Lord, help me to walk in your life and your strength. I want to glorify you with my life, my body. And he loves that prayer. If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he wants to fill you. So are you hungering and thirsting for the things of this world or the things which come from God and please God? He wants to fill you with Himself. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now he's moving and talking more about relationships. Mercy is a willingness and a desire to forgive and offer kindness and help Beyond what may be expected and demanded by fairness. Matthew 9.13, Jesus said, Go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So mercy has a lot to do with how you express God's life to those around you who maybe they're not really in your eyes worthy of being 
merciful to them. Maybe they have used you, but then they're in need again, and, and you ask, and the Lord says, be merciful. Sometimes merciful is forgiving. Hi, sweetie. Sometimes merciful is helping. And we have people in our church that have needed help. And I've seen many of you just extend mercy. And I believe that blesses the heart of God. So the question is, how am I? Oh, they'll be shown mercy. Excuse me, that's the reward for that beatitude. If you show mercy, it'll come back on you. God will show you His mercy. How many of you say, I need His mercy? I could use that. Yeah. So, be merciful and you'll get it back. I love that. All right. How am I showing mercy to the undeserving, quote, undeserving people in my life? That's the question for you to think about. Number six. There are only two more after this one. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. This has always been a tough one to understand. Uh, the word pure means to be clean, blameless, unstained from guilt. The word can also refer to something that's been purified by fire or by pruning. We don't like that P word, do we? Pruning. So blessed are the pure in heart. So that the heart refers to the spiritual center of our lives, where our thoughts, desires, sense of purpose, will, understanding, and character reside. So to be pure in heart means to be blameless in who we actually are. Blameless in who we actually are. That's pure in heart. So that word cleansing, when it refers to the fire, and that's really true. God does allow us to go through fire. Fire reveals what's really true, what's really at the center of things. And a lot of times when, when we think we have pure motives, God's going, no, you've got some selfish nicked in there and I want to expose it. He allows the fire to come into our lives and it reveals who we really are, doesn't it? You know what that's like? It says that the pure in heart will see God. What does that mean? John the Apostle tells us in John chapter 1, no one has seen God at any time. And in 1 John, he says again, we know that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But that's when He returns. And when we are with Him, after this age is over. John also says in Revelation chapter 1, he has this vision of Jesus. He says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded around the chest with a golden band. And when I saw him, I move ahead a few verses, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. There used to be a song called Alive, Alive, Alive Forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. A cleansed heart will see more and more of God. 
more and more of Jesus as we walk. As you let the fire come and the pruning come in your life, the reward is you're going to see more and more of who Jesus is. You're going to experience more and more of who He is, and you're going to interact. Your fellowship with Him is going to increase. And I really believe that we can come to that point of where we see the Lord so clearly that we can't handle it. And like John, we pass out. When God gives us glimpses of Himself, it's just too much. We can't take it all in. I had an experience about 15, 20 years ago, and we were um, doing something called Super Soakers, where we were just some of us were just worshiping the Lord on a Saturday night, and just had we were just ministering to the Lord. And one night the Holy Spirit fell on us, and I fell on the carpet, and and it was like. 5,000 volts going through my body. I was bouncing on the carpet on my back. It was just like, oh, the presence of God was like so much electricity. And I basically, I had to cry out and say, God, I can't handle it. Stop, please. And finally it abated. But it was a real experience I had in the presence of God. I was seeing Jesus in ways I had never seen Jesus before. But I believe that, that that's just me having one experience. You also have, God has experiences for you to have. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to see Him. And as you allow God to deal with your heart motives, to bring the fire, to bring the cleansing, to bring the pruning in your life, you keep saying, yes, Lord, whatever you know that I need, I let you touch me. Surgeon, I let you take your knife out and operate on me. When we have that degree of trust where we can let Jesus have His way with us, the reward is going to be a a relationship with Him, a seeing God that we have never had any idea we could experience. So the question is here, am I looking deeply at my heart motivations and attitudes and taking them to Jesus for an exchange with His heart? He wants to put His heart in me. Number seven, are you feeling challenged this morning? (laughs) These Beatitudes, they just challenge me. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Notice he says peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are people that will do anything to keep other people from erupting. They're going to do anything they can to keep calm down everybody and make everybody happy. Peacemakers go to the, the issue at hand and expose it and deal with it so there can be true reconciliation. It's confronting things that need to be confronted. It's talking about the elephant in the middle of the room. Peacemakers are the ones that they go and they really deal with stuff, but they, it ends up with reconciliation. It ends up with healing. Although oftentimes there are fireworks that happen first. Who knows what I'm talking about here? I would rather be a peacekeeper. I'm good at just trying to keep people happy. Brooke is a peacemaker. She's the one that says, we got a problem here and until we deal with the problem, nothing's really going to change. She gets a lot of pushback. I don't get as much because I'm not as bold as she is. I'm learning I'm getting better because I'm becoming more like Jesus, so I'm getting better at that as to let the Lord help me. 
But there are times when if we don't take the sliver out of our hand, the infection's only going to grow. You know what I'm talking about? And so, blessed are the peacemakers. It's not a talking about the feeling of peace, either. It's not talking about when all your circumstances are good and everything is wonderful and there's money in the bank and your kids are happy with you. It's not talking about that feeling of peace. That's circumstantial peace. We know that doesn't last. That comes and goes all the time. Comes and goes. It's talking about relational peace where relationships are right. They're based on righteousness. That kind of peace. The kind that Jesus says, if your brother has ought against you, Go to him alone and try to work it out. And if you, if you win your brother back, you've, it's an amazing thing. And if he won't listen to you, take two or three witnesses. Oh, yeah, it'll all be better. Grandma's got you. It's the verse where Paul says in Romans 12:8 that we love people enough to speak the truth in love. You see the two sides of that? Speaking the truth, but doing it with a right heart, a heart that really loves. Not speaking the truth because we're mad at somebody, but speaking the truth because we love them. Galatians 6.1 says that, that um, if we see somebody caught up in, a, in an area of sin, to go to them in meekness and humility and restore that person as best we can. So this morning, the question is, am I willing to go to somebody who sinned against me with humility and speak the truth in love with a desire to be reconciled? Or am I just going to avoid them because avoiding them is easier and I don't have to deal with the potential pushback Jesus said the uh, reward for being a peacemaker is that you will be called the children of God because you look like your Father. God is your Father when you act like His Son. And, and being a peacemaker is acting like Jesus because Jesus came as Prince of Peace and made peace by the cross it cost him everything to make peace. But look, we are all here because he was willing to do that. Do we love our brother or sister enough to speak the truth in love when we know we need to do it? Number eight, last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. or For, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven. We'll talk about that in a second. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, Jesus said, because of me, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is a lot longer, this last beatitude. Why does he go into so much detail here? Any ideas? There's no wrong answers here. 
Why does he go into so much detail here? Do you think Jesus is trying to help people really get this one? Maybe he's trying to help prepare them, his disciples, for what it's going to cost them to put Jesus first in their life in the midst of a Jewish culture that is by all the leaders that rejected Jesus. Pardon? Yeah, he's, he's, he's equipping them beforehand. What, this is what you're going to have to deal with. He says later on in, in the Gospel of John, if they, if they accept me, they'll accept you. If they reject me, they will reject you. You can expect both acceptance from those that the Holy Spirit's touching and warming their hearts and preparing them, and you can expect rejection from those who are fighting against God and rebelling against Him. It's a mixed bag while we're on this earth. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you, you're enlarged in God, by God if you endure persecution. Persecution can be verbal, it can be emotional, it can be physical, obviously, even leading to a martyr's death or injury. We have no promises of God that we will be untouched. How many of you uh, have heard of people that got saved and were told that once they become a Christian, all their problems go away? Let's laugh about that one, right? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> no, the problems you start when you become a believer because now you're having to confront yourself as well as other people that reject you. When I got saved, I went home from college my freshman year and I told my family that I gave my life to Jesus and that they needed to repent and give their lives to Jesus or they were going to go to hell. My brother started calling me the preacher and they all just, re they all just rejected me. It broke my heart. But down the road, 20 years, all my brothers gave their lives to Jesus. It was worth it. I know, Mike, you've experienced some of the same thing with your family. Mary, I'm sure many of you have. Blessed are you when people revile you and say all manner of evil things against you. It's hard to get hold of that, isn't it? We don't want to say that's a, that's, God uses that as a blessing, but He does. We can actually get to the point like the, like the apostles Stephen, who when they were stoning him, he looked up to heaven and said, Jesus, don't lay this against their account. Forgive them, Lord. While he was being stoned. We can actually have that much of God's love in us. And I know I need more. I need more. So the question here, Oh, again, it says that they will be called the children of God. That's the second time that that has been. Because I believe that children of God is saying, you're just like your father, child. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, that's how Jesus looked. It's what Jesus did. When He was on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they are doing. And He's calling you and me to live that way, to, be, to allow Him to transform our hearts to become like Him. So the final question is, am I willing to go to the person... No, excuse me, that was number eight. I mean, number seven. Number eight, the question is, <clears throat> am I willing to endure for Jesus some of what He endured for me? Knowing that He said that this would be part of walking with Him on the earth. 
All right, as I close, I just want to say, what Jesus has been telling to us is, is more of what I want you to do, not how. He doesn't say a whole lot about how, except when he talks about being filled with righteousness. We cannot do this in our own ability. And Jesus is, is going to talk about that in other places. But I want to mention just a couple verses. We talked about this in our men's study the other night. It's only by the Holy Spirit living in and through me that I can, I can live a, these Beatitudes out. Right? Philippians 2, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, that's helping with us, our, our will, and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's our faith, walking with God, embracing that cross. But as we do, God works in us, transforming our hearts. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, this is a good news translation, if we live according to our human nature, according to our flesh, we're going to die. But if by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, we put to death our sinful actions, we will live. The Holy Spirit is in us today. All of us that have received Jesus as our Savior and Lord, He's in us to transform us. If by the Spirit, by the Spirit's help, by the Spirit's strength and action. So the question is, am I experiencing the Holy Spirit in me, transforming my thoughts, desires, and actions? So this morning, as we close, is there a beatitude which you, need, you and the Lord need to talk about this morning? Go, Lord, <laughs> I know you said blessed blank. And I'm not sure I can, I've got a grip on that. And I need a little, I need your power in my life. I need your spirit in my life. I just want to make room for here. Just come up and pray. People can pray for you if you want that. If they don't, just come up and pray. There will be folks here to be able to minister to you if you desire that. But this morning, I believe Jesus is calling us. He's calling us here at Calvary closer to Him. He's calling us deeper in Him. He's challenging us to live in a way that the world will look at us and go, you are different. I want to know why. And then we will have the opportunity to share the answer we have with the hope that, about the hope that is within us. So let's pray together and, then, and uh, commit our afternoon to the Lord. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And just these seven or eight verses, whatever it is, God, so challenging. We need You, Lord. We ask for Your help, Lord. We want to be enlarged. We want to be blessed. But it means that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow You. So we ask for grace and strength to do that today, Lord. And every day we get up to say, Jesus, give me the strength to follow You today. Lord, I pray for Your people, Lord, that if there's conviction of sin about their attitudes, about their actions about their words to others, Lord, that you would help your people, Lord, to come and to really face you and deal with these things and allow you to continue the transforming work of your Spirit in them. We just thank you for this morning. We thank you for our worship time. We thank you 
for the, just the wonderful time of praying for one another, Lord. And we ask You to continue the good work You're doing in us. And we bless You, Lord, as we go, and as we fellowship. In Jesus' name, Amen.